Glad you're here this evening. After tonight, of course, we'll have just one more night in our gospel meeting. As tomorrow night, we'll be dealing with the subject, Why Have You Not Obeyed the Gospel? A very fundamental, very basic lesson. And invite your friends and your neighbors to come and to be with us for that lesson tomorrow night. Psalm 119 is one of the immortal psalms. We're all familiar with the psalm, perhaps for a couple of different reasons. We are familiar with the psalm because of its length. It's by far the longest uh, chapter in the Bible, the longest of the psalms, consisting of 176 verses. We're also familiar with it because of its content. It is about the Word of God. In fact, in this chapter that consists of 176 different verses, if I have marked correctly, in my Bible, there's only four verses that don't make a direct reference to the Word of God. So from beginning to end, the psalmist is praising the Word of God for what it does for him. And he makes it very personal. One of the qualities of this psalm that stands out, in addition to its topic, uh, to its content, is the fact that there are 325 references to self throughout this psalm. The word I occurs 142 times, the word me 91, the word my 62, the word mine 14 times, and myself three times. And so it's obvious that as he talks about the word of God, he's not talking about what it means to others or what it has done for others, but he makes it very personal in applying it to himself. It is an acrostic psalm meaning that you have a section that begins with each letter of the Hebrew alphabet, each section or strophe consisting of eight verses. There are 22 in all, beginning with Olive and Bait and Gimel and Dalit, and all through the Hebrew alphabet, you'll have eight verses that begin with each of those subsequent letters that no doubt help the, uh, the Jews to remember the content of this psalm. And when we look at this psalm and its content, the Word of God is described in a variety of different ways in this text. In fact, there are at least eight synonyms that are used in Psalm 119 to describe the Word of God. It is law, it is testimonies or ways or precepts or statutes or commandments. It is judgments, it is the words of God, it is ordinances or rules that are to be followed. And so all of these different synonyms, perhaps emphasizing a little bit different aspect of the word of God, but all talking about what God had revealed. And I want to focus in tonight on a section found in verses 9 to verse 16. And what would have been, each of those verses would have begun with the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet, the bait. And to deal with the question that the psalmist raised, I believe, and answered in verses 9 to verse 16. And that question that he raises in the New King James Version is, how shall the young man cleanse his way? And so let's focus in on verses 9 to verse 16. Place your marker there. So we're going to be flipping back to this section from time to time in our study here tonight. Let's begin by appreciating the question that is being dealt with. What question is asked and answered in this particular section? If you have the New King's translation, which is what I preach from, 
It is translated, how shall the young man cleanse his way? And that question really implies that here's a man that is in sin. Here's a man that is in need of cleansing, in need of forgiveness. How can he cleanse himself from the sin? And while that is an important question, it's one of the most important questions that man can ever think about and entertain, it's not really the question, it seems, that is being raised by the psalmist here. In fact, other translations render it this way. In the English Standard Version, it is translated as how can a young man keep his way pure? The New American Standard says essentially the same thing. How can a young man keep his way pure? How can a young man keep his way pure? Or how can a young man keep his way pure? They're all in agreement that the question here is not really about cleansing one in sin, but how is it in a world of sin and temptation and wickedness that the young man can continue in the way of purity? The newer edition of the NIV, the NIV 2011 translates it, how can a young man stay on the way that is pure? I think the question implies the fact that youth is a very critical point in time in one's life. And it is a time, like even our older years, in which Satan is doing his part to try to draw us away from the Lord. He walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. How is it in a world in which the devil is pulling at us, in a world that is crooked and perverse, that we can keep ourselves on the way that is pure? And so the question is really about maintaining purity. And it was that youth is a time of great challenges and temptations. I think the Bible indicates that certainly it is not the only time that man deals with temptations and struggles, but it is a critical time. That's why the Apostle Paul would write to the young preacher Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and in verse 22 and say to flee also youthful lust but pursue righteousness, faith, and love, and peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. The very fact that he says to flee youthful lust implies that there are some desires and some lust and some pulls that are stronger in one's youth than they may be as one grows older. Just in way of passing, let me say, I'm not convinced that Paul is particularly warning Timothy about sexual temptation in 2 Timothy 2.22. But the context, I think, deals with the temptation to think you know more than everybody else. Pride and arrogance can also be temptations in the days of our youth. Whatever those are, we need to flee from them. I find it interesting that in First Timothy chapter, or First John chapter two and fourteen to seventeen, John writes and he talks about I've written to you fathers, which seem to be those that are older in the faith, because you have known him who is from the beginning. But these are I've written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you've overcome the wicked one. But right after that instruction, he said, don't love the world nor the things in the world. Youth is a critical time. In fact, I was reading not long ago about the religious world as a whole. Not just God's people, but just looking across the, the, the religious world as a whole. Most people that decide that they're going to attend, for example, church regularly. And I think as the survey did it in a in sort of denominational terminology, give themselves to the Lord, 
They do so between the ages of 12 and the age of 18. And those that don't do that in that time frame typically, though there are exceptions that you're not familiar with, don't ever end up serving the Lord. The decisions we make in youth are critical because they often determine what we're going to be doing as we grow old. Not only do we see that in 1 John chapter 2, but we also see that in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 11. The wise man Solomon is writing through the book of Ecclesiastes about the, the meaning of life, what life is all about. And he really points out, I have tried everything, I have experimented with everything. And at the end of the book, he's going to remind us that there's really one thing that makes man whole and complete and full, and that is to fear and to serve God. But as he begins what I believe is the final section at the end of chapter 11 and verse 9, he said, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these God will bring you into judgment. Therefore remove sorrow from your heart and put away evil from your flesh, for childhood and youth are vanity." What he's reminding the young people here that he's directing this instruction to is, first of all, enjoy the time that you're young. You're not going to be young forever. It's going to pass a lot quicker than you thought it would. Enjoy your youth. But in every decision you make, you have to remember that there's a judgment day that is going to come. And put away anything that is harmful or is going to bring sorrow for childhood and the prime of life, one translation said, are vanity. The word vanity... Doesn't mean useless in that text. It doesn't mean it's of no value. The word vanity means it's fleeting. In other words, it passes quickly. You think you're young and the next moment you turn around and guess what? You're not young anymore. And the decisions that you made when you are young, you're going to have to live with those decisions, sometimes even far-reaching consequences when you get older. Youth is a very important time in life. And that's why the young men need to raise the question, how can I keep my way pure? How can I stay on that narrow path during the days of my youth? Remember your Creator in the days of your youth before the difficult days come and the years draw nigh when you say, I have no pleasure in them. I've sat beside the bedside many times of individuals that were nearing the end of their life The one thing I have never had anybody tell me when I sat by their bedside and as the end was coming, is I've never had anybody look at me and say, you know what, if I could go back now, I I wouldn't serve God while I was young. I I would have sowed my wild oats. I would have done whatever I wanted to do. But I have sat by the bedside of more than one that said, you know what, I regret I wasted my younger years and didn't use them in service to God. Remember your Creator in the days of you. It is a critical time. It will set the course for the rest of your life. And even decisions that you make, we all have to deal with for the rest of your life, even though we may uh, regret the things that we have done. So the question is, how can I keep myself pure? How can I keep myself on that narrow way? Well, the answer is given here in the text. And the first thing he says is I can keep myself pure by taking heed according to your word. If I just take heed to your word and I guard myself by your word, I can keep myself pure. That word take heed is a word that occurs frequently in the Hebrew Old Testament. In fact, I think it occurs some 400 and something times. 
Sometimes it is translated by the word keep, as in keeping the commandments or being my brother's keeper. Other times it carries with it the idea of a guard or a hedge that is placed around in order to protect, in order to keep. The New American Standard and the English Standard opted for that translation when they raised the question, how can the young man keep his way pure? The answer is by guarding it, that is by guarding his life or keeping it according to his word. In other words, the idea is that here the devil is out to get us. The world is out to pull us away from the Lord, but we've got a guard that we can put up. We've got something that can protect us. We've got something that can help uh, put a garrison or a hedge around us that can protect us during those times. And that hedge is the word of God. The book of Psalm chapter 17 and in verse 4, the word kept in that text is the same word that is translated take heed back in Psalm 119. And the psalmist says, concerning the works of men... By the word of your lips, I have kept away from the paths of the destroyer. Some say, there's one out to destroy me, but I've kept myself out of that one because I did it by the words of your lips. Psalm 18 and 21 through verse 23. Psalm 18, 21 to 23. I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his judgments are before me. I did not put away his statutes from before me. I was also blameless before him, and I kept myself from my iniquity. Well, how did you do that? I did that because I've kept the ways of God. His word always before me. So how is it I can keep my way pure? How is it that my children can keep themselves pure? And by the way, one thing I learned in Psalm 119 if there's really no secret for the young man, that's different from the secret of the old man. You know, while this question is raised, how can the young man keep his way pure? The answer is really the same whether you're young or you're middle-aged or you're old. There's not one set of rules for the young man. Sometimes I think we think, well, now young people need something special in order to help them in the days of their youth. Somebody said, well, we need preaching directed toward young people. Well, you know what they need? They need exactly the same thing the older people need. They need the Word of God to protect them and put up the garrison. This is going to keep sin out and keep them serving the Lord. In the book of 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5, we have very similar language used in the New Testament. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5. You remember the passage where Peter, in 1 Peter 1 and in verse 5, had talked about the inheritance that we have in the Lord, going back to verse 3. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Who's it reserved for? It is for those that are kept by the power of God. The word kept there is that word that means guard. It's used in the book of Acts 18 to describe a guard, uh, guarding a garrison. We are guarded by God. How? Through faith. How does faith come? Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. So what Peter's saying is really essentially the same thing as the psalmist is saying back here in Psalm 119. That is, you want to guard your path. You want to protect yourself against sin. Fill your minds with the word of God. I'll tell you something else I learned in this text. 
Not only do I learn that the young man cleanses his way by taking heed according to the word, but I know the young man, in order to protect himself, must seek the Lord with his whole heart. With my whole heart I have sought thee, the psalmist says. In other words, the whole heart describes a sincere, single-minded devotion. The young man wants to keep himself on the way that is pure, on the way that leads to righteousness. He cannot have a half-hearted devotion. He cannot have a divided allegiance to the Lord. In fact, God really demands, expects, and deserves wholehearted devotion. How many times can you, in the New Testament can you think of a passage that emphasizes that point? It may be a passage like Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24. Matthew the 6th chapter and verse 24 when he said, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon or God and money. You can't have two masters. You've got to decide who you're going to serve and who you're going to be devoted to, and you give that master your all. How many times has somebody tried to have their feet partly planted in the world and partly planted in service to God, and it just doesn't work? Eventually, they're going to be led into the ways of the world. Matthew chapter 22 and verse 36. You remember when Jesus was asked what the great commandment in the law was? The answer was that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. I like that word all. Circle it in your Bibles. It's emphasizing the fact that God expects us to give Him everything that we have wholeheartedly, singly being devoted to Him. Setting our minds on things above where Christ is. In fact, the psalmist expressed that idea in Psalm chapter 27 and in verse 4. Psalm the 27th chapter and in verse 4 he said, One thing I've desired that I will see, that I may dwell in the house of, my, uh, of the Lord all the days of my life. Another single-minded devotion. See, divided allegiance leads one away from the Lord. It distracts us from our service to God. And before we know it, sin has an opening that, that, that the devil will take advantage of. I don't have the, the passage on the chart, but I'm reminded of Mary and Martha in the book of Luke when Mary was, the Bible says, distracted and worried about many things. But one thing is needful. What happened? She had her mind planted on the serving and the way things that in their proper context were certainly important and commendable. But on that occasion, it took her mind away from what the one thing that was needed, which was to set at the feet of the Master and to serve Him. In the soils of Mark chapter 14, the parable of the sower that illustrates the different kinds of soils that hearts are that the, the word is planted in. If someone was to ask me, what in your opinion in the body of Christ is the most frequent kind of soil, at least among the negative soil, I'd probably have to say it's the thorns. In other words, it's those that allow the cares of this world and the desire for other things to enter in, and it chokes the word, and it becomes unfruitful. How many have fallen into sin because they lost sight of what was the one true important thing? 
They got their minds focused on the making of money or the pursuit of pleasure or recreation and it took their minds away and before you know it, they find themselves in sin because of that divided allegiance. It happened to Israel. The book of Hosea, chapter 10 and in verse 2. Isaiah, Hosea chapter 10 and verse 2, their heart is divided, the Bible says. Now they are held guilty. He will break down their altars and he will ruin their sacred pillars. They had a divided heart. And as a result of that, God in the days of Hosea is telling them, for Israel, the end is near. You cannot stand with this divided heart. In fact, do you realize that when you study through Israel's history, the period of the divided kingdom, there is very seldom a time in which Israel was completely and totally given over to idolatry. Usually, their religion was sort of syncretistic. In other words, they had their idols over here, and then we'll run over here, and we'll play a little bit of allegiance to God, and then we'll go back over here. And that divided heart, God said, I'm not going to take it. I'm not going to accept that. I must be number one. You want to keep your way pure? I tell you what you've got to do. You've got to, number one, take heed according to the word. And number two, you've got to decide you're going to give God your all. Wholehearted devotion. But not only that, we've got to hide the word of God in our hearts. Perhaps that's closely connected to the first point about taking heed according to the word. That is, we're keeping ourselves and guarding ourselves by the word of God. But look at verse 11. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. That word hidden is a word that means to hide or to treasure or to store up. It's the picture of taking something that's valuable and locking it away in a place so it is secure. And here the treasure is God's word and it's locked up in our hearts. We know it. We know it well. That doesn't mean we're always able to quote every Bible passage, but it means I know the content of God's Word and I'm able to use it in the time of temptation and in the time of struggle. God's Word to be treasured in our hearts has to be, we have to have a knowledge of that Word. We have to study the Word. The book of Proverbs chapter 2. Proverbs the second chapter and in verse 1, you may remember that the wise man Solomon here, as if he's addressing his son, said, My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you. That is not just simply the attitude of this. Yes, I hear what you're saying. But I, they're valuable to me. I'm going to hold on to those. They're, they're a treasure that I'm going to use to guide me. The book of Deuteronomy chapter 6 sort of describes that attitude in verses 6 through verse 9, when he talks about that word being on our hands and on our, as signs on our hands and as frontlets between our eyes. What does that mean? I know it and it goes with me everywhere I go because I've committed it to my heart and it's locked away there. The word of Christ dwells in us richly. You know, sometimes I don't think we realize what a, what a valuable treasure we have in the word of God. If we realize what a valuable treasure we have in the Word of God, we're not going to be forced to study the Word. We're going to want to study the Word. When I realize what it does for me. We've, we've been through a, a, a... This last year's been a difficult year for many because of quarantines and COVID. And I tell you, I, I know a lot of people that were excited, and I don't care what your opinion is, I'm not bringing it up for that purpose, when a vaccine came out because that here I'm going to be protected. 
Again, you're entitled to your opinion on that. I don't care. But my point is, can you do you remember the excitement that people say, now here's a solution, here's a disease, and now if I take this, maybe I'm going to be protected, maybe I'm not going to get sick, maybe things are going to get better. And so I knew people that could not wait to get that because they felt like they were going to be safer. But here's my point. Do you know that we have in the Word of God something that can inoculate us against sin? Something that can protect us. Something that will guard my heart. And we're not excited about it. We're not excited when we can come together and study. We're not excited to study the Word of God with our children. This is what he said. That Word is a treasure. It is a treasure that will keep you out of sin. I don't know where the story began, but I remember hearing years ago the story of a, a young man that was getting ready to go off to college. He got ready to go off to college. His mother wrapped him up a present, handed it to him, and said, when you get to school, I don't want you to open that up. So he got to school, and very quickly he opened the package up to see what present she had sent along. And inside that box was a copy of the Bible. And inside that Bible, she had written a note that just simply said, this little book will keep you from sin, and nothing but sin will keep you from this book. There's some wisdom in that. You take this book and you come to know it and you come to study it and you come to feed upon it and it will protect you. Jesus used it in Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus used it over and again, quoting from the book of Deuteronomy, when He said, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. It is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. In the well-known passage of Ephesians chapter 6, 16 to 17, we have the whole armor of God given to us. We're told to put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, I've sat through classes, and I think they can be valuable. And I've, I've seen, you know, a vacation Bible school, they'll take this, this armor, and then we talk about it piece by piece by piece. We'll talk about the shield of faith and we talk about the helmet of salvation and we talk about the sword of the Spirit. And I think there can be some value in that. But I want to tell you, the more I've studied that armor, the more I've become convinced that each and every piece of that armor centers on one thing and that's the Word of God. How do we know we have salvation? How do we develop the faith, the shield of faith? Faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing by the Word of God. How do we know of the hope of salvation? It's through the Word of God. How do we, uh, what is the shield of, uh, or the sword of the Spirit? It's the Word of God. That Word of God is what provides us and thoroughly equips us into everything that we need. Isn't that what the Apostle Paul told the young preacher Timothy? In 2 Timothy chapter 3, when he talked about all scriptures given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for proof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped unto every good work. What he's saying is there's nothing you need that this word of God does not provide. It'll tell you what is right. It'll tell you what is not right. It'll tell you how to get right. It'll tell you how to stay right. There's nothing that we need that is not provided by that word. You know, the answer to the question, how can my young, how can our young people stay pure? How can they stay on that way of purity? The answer is by filling their minds full of the Word of God. That's how they do it. And if they do that, they may not sin against them.
But I tell you something else I learned. Not only does he take heed and he's going to guard it by the word of God, he's got a single-minded devotion and he takes that word and he treasures it and recognizes its value in overcoming sin. But he says, teach me your statutes. You got your Bibles open back Psalm 119. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Blessed are, are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. I think one thing I learned in that passage is he knew he had hid the word of God in his heart, but there was more to learn. And the attitude was that of a teachable spirit. This is, there's room for growth. Teach me more. I need to grow in knowledge. Now, one of the, the temptations that sometimes can plague us in the days of our youth is sometimes we think we know more than we really do. Often we think we know everything. I think the book of Proverbs deals with that. It's primarily directed toward young people, I believe, though the wisdom applies to us all. But how many times does the wise man Solomon again say, listen to me. Listen to what I'm telling you. It's good knowledge. It's good instruction. Sometimes we are wiser than we think we are when we are young. But the attitude of one that's going to keep his way pure is one that realizes there is more to learn. He has a teachable spirit. And I tell you what I also learn in that is that even when we're older, there's always room for growth. There's always more to learn. The more I study the Bible, the more I realize there's more to learn. I don't know how many times I've taught many of the books that are in the Bible. And when I, I teach a class and then I turn around two years later and I teach another class on the same book, there are always a number of things that stand out in my mind. Number one is the fact that a lot of the audience is forgetting everything I said from two years ago. And so I learn from that. And I don't say that as a negative. I learn from that. There needs to be constant repetition and reminders from the Word of God. Now, the other thing that impresses me sometimes is how much I forget from time to time or how sometimes I can go over a passage that I have studied many times and then it's some, I noticed something I hadn't noticed before. And what that tells me, there's always room for growth. Always increasing in our service to God. In the book of 2 Peter chapter 1, in verses 5 through verse 8, we have what we call the Christian graces. Where he talks about, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, knowledge temperance, to temperance patience, to patience brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. And what he says in that text, if these are yours and abound. And those qualities that we talk about in the Christian graces, one thing I learned is it, this is not describing a one-time process in my life where I've got faith. Now, you know what? I need to add to my faith knowledge. Okay, now I've got knowledge. Let me check that one off. I've got knowledge now. And now I add to my knowledge Virtue, And so I've got virtue now, and I'm ready to move on. And then I've got temperance uh, or self-control. And on through the list. That's not the idea of the Christian graces. But when he said, if these are yours and abound, the English Standard Version, the New American Standard Version, said, if these are yours and are increasing. In other words, there's always increase in knowledge and virtue and temperance and brotherly love. What is the Apostle Paul said in writing to the brethren at Thessalonica? Concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write unto you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And he said, indeed, they were doing that. And then he turned right around and said, but I pray that you will increase yet more and more. 
What's he saying? You're doing well, now let's do even more. Christian growth is a lifelong undertaking. How many times have you and I seen someone in the body of Christ that we knew and we respected that had stood for the truth and they're going, and all of a sudden they quit studying. All of a sudden they quit growing. They lay their sword down and now this one that was once so solid, we find them becoming weaker and weaker and maybe even falling into sin. You know what happens if we don't have the attitude that continues to say, teach me. I've got more to learn. I'm going to continue to grow. Then we're going to find ourselves weakening and falling prey to sin and temptation. And so the growth is a lifelong process. How can the young man keep his way pure? Let me say the answer is by giving heed to his word. By learning to seek God with his whole heart. By saying I'm going to take that word and I'm going to treasure it and learn it and lock it away in my heart. And to say continue to teach me. I'm going to continue to learn and continue to grow. And then to realize that, that God's word is for my good. Look back in Psalm 119. Do you see it there in this paragraph we're talking about tonight? Well, he said, I rejoiced in the ways of your testimonies as much in all the riches. I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will never forget your word. Do you see the psalmist using words like, I rejoice. I delight. The psalmist, I think, understood God's word was for his good and it made for the very best life that one can live here as well as preparing them for eternity. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, and verse 24, I remember years ago, I sat down to read the book written by Brother Irvin Lee, Preaching in a Changing World. I haven't read it in years, but one thing stood out in my mind when I read through that book. And it was the fact that he said that every time he got a new copy of the Bible, every time that his Bible had gotten worn out and he got a new one that he was going to use, the very first thing he did was he turned over in his Bible to Deuteronomy 6 and verse 24 and he highlighted it. And what that passage says in Deuteronomy 6 and verse 24, Deuteronomy 6 and verse 24, is the Lord commanded us to observe all of these statutes, to fear the Lord our God, listen, for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. What that passage was telling the people of Israel, all these commands, and there were a lot of them. You read through the book of Leviticus, and you read through the book of Deuteronomy. We're teaching the book of Deuteronomy. I mentioned the other night. Right now I'm teaching it on Sunday morning. I just got finished teaching the book of Leviticus. And there are a lot of things that are valuable. It's not my favorite material to teach, I'll be honest with you, in going through the book of Leviticus. And sometimes you look at all of these commands and all of these instructions that are given about sacrifices and laws about cleanliness. And then I think about that. You know why God gave them their, those laws? Every single law was given for their benefit. It was for their good, whether we understand it or not. And I believe the same thing is true today. God's word is for our good. Go over to the book of Psalm chapter 2, uh, Proverbs chapter 2, excuse me, where the wise man Solomon, the wise man Solomon, again talking to his son about the value of wisdom, and he's saying, son, get this wisdom that comes from God. Get this wisdom that is invaluable to you. Why, son, should you treasure it? Listen. 
Incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Yes, if you cry out for discernment and you lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He's a shield to those who walk uprightly. He guards the path of justice and preserves the way of the saints. And Then you will understand righteousness and justice, equity and every good path. When wisdom enters your heart and knowledge is pleasant to the soul, discretion will preserve you. Understanding will keep you. He really goes on through the rest of that chapter exalting wisdom and what it will do it deliver you from the, evil, the immoral woman and to keep your way pure. But Solomon is saying, you've got a secret. Do you realize what God's Word does for you? It's for your benefit. It's for your good. Every one of those instructions is good. And I believe if we're really going to keep on the way that is pure, we've got to come to view the commands of God. Every one of them that He's given us is for our benefit. Several years ago, it's been, I guess, over 20 years ago, I was preaching in just north of Birmingham, Alabama, and I got a call one Wednesday night, and this guy says, I want to I talk to you before services. And so I, I went a little bit early, and we sat down. I, re- I still remember the conversation well. Background of the story, by the way, is he'd been in an adulterous marriage, and I'd had to tell him he'd had to get out of that adulterous marriage. And to their credit, they did. But I remember sitting there talking to him, and he said, you know, when I read through the Bible, he said, I just see God as this dictator, almost, I don't know if he used the words as a sort of a mean ogre, sitting in heaven and telling us, do this and do that, and he just can't wait for us to slip up, and now he's got it right where we, right where he wants us. And I remember, I can't remember everything that I said to him, I thought, what a, what a terrible view of the Lord, to think that He's just there to give us commands to see whether or not we're going to keep them or not. That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is a God that expects us to keep His commandments. We've got to obey them as He's written, but He did it for our good and for our benefit. Even those commands that are hard. Commands like assembling together. Commands like church discipline. Commands like the, the study of the Word of God and prayer. and mod- Every one of those is given for my benefit. For my good. And if I'm going to keep my way pure, I've got to realize the commandments of God are not given just arbitrarily, but God gave them because He knew what we needed. They're for our benefit. In fact, when I look at the passage in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 3, Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. And my commandments are not burdensome. God did not give us His commands to be grievous or a burden to bear but for our benefit. I tell you, when I come to realize that, when I come to realize that and truly accept that, then I don't raise questions. Well, do I really have to do that? Or well, is that command important? But instead I learn to rejoice in the commandments of God. I learn to take delight in them. How can the young man keep his way pure in a world that is wicked and full of sin, where the world is pulling after him and Satan is out to destroy him? He takes heed according to the word. He seeks God with his whole heart. He treasures it as a command within his heart. He has a teachable spirit and he has the attitude, God, teach me all the way through the end of his life. He learns to delight in God's commandments and he meditates on those precepts. 
They're never far from his mind. Listen to what he says here in the very last point of this context. Psalm 119 and verse 15. I will meditate on your precepts. I contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. The word meditate means to muse, to study, to ponder, to consider, or to put forth. And the idea is it's always on our minds. The Word of God in every decision we make, we're always thinking about what the Word of God says. In fact, we meditated on it both day and night. Psalm 1 and 2. says, Psalm chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in that law he meditates both day and night. In verse 97 of Psalm 119, Psalm verse 97, he said, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. In other words, the young man that keeps his way pure is pondering and musing and considering the word of God both day and night. When he lays in his bed at night, he thinks about his relationship to God and the day that has gone by. And I think meditation also suggests some self-examination. That is, as we meditate upon the Word, we're meditating on it with the idea of how have I compared to it. See, in James chapter 1 and verse 25, James, as he describes the perfect law of liberty in that text, it says, whoever looks in the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the Word, this one will be blessed in what he does. He described the man who looks into a mirror and immediately goes away and forgets what manner of man he was. I tell you, the kind of man that is described in Psalm one and James chapter one is the kind of man that looks into the Word of God. He can he can study, he can outline his chapter, he can always know the content. But when it comes to making application of it, he immediately forgets about the Word of God. Maybe the kind of person that can commend a lesson, but never puts it into application. You know why? He immediately forgets what he's heard. The one that is blessed is the one that thinks about. It. He he doesn't forget about it. He's meditating on it, both day and night. The book of 1 Timothy, chapter 4. The apostle Paul wrote to the young preacher Timothy and said, Let no man despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the, of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them, that your progress may be evident to all. The psalmist, or the proverb writer, excuse me, Solomon was saying, Proverbs 23 and verse 7, as a man thinks in his heart, so is what does that mean? It means that my thinking is about the Word of God. What's my conduct going to be? If I'm, if I'm thinking about the things that are pure and holy and righteous, as Paul described in Philippians 4 and verse 8, then my conduct is going to end up being the same way. So the question, how, how can the young man keep his way pure? How, how can we stay on the narrow way? Sometimes I, I see people get frustrated in the world in which we live. Not only have I seen... In the last year, by the way, with regard to the, the, the things that have gone on relative to uh, the sickness and the COVID, but with regard to political unrest and with regard to things that have gone the other way, I've had brethren that come to me, I just don't know what we're going to do. How are we going to continue to serve the Lord? The, and what I've tried to teach, tell each and every one of them 
is I tell you what, I don't know where this country's headed. I don't know where the world's going to be headed. But I tell you what, I've got every bit of control of where I'm headed. And that is, if I serve the Lord and I feed on His Word, I don't care what happens in this world. I can do the right thing. And I can get to heaven. Even in a world that's very wicked. And I can do that by taking heed according to the Word of God having a teachable spirit, seeking God with my whole heart, meditating upon it day and night, and realizing that every command that God gave me is for my benefit and for my good. And I tell you what that'll do. It'll keep not only the young man pure, it'll keep the old man pure as well. Get your song. We're going to stand and sing the invitation song that was announced in just a moment, and that would be the proper time for one that needs to respond in obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It may be that there's somebody here that's never become a Christian, and you need to take advantage of this opportunity tonight to do that. Hearing, believing, repenting, confession, and being baptized, you can become a child of God. Then continue to take heed to that word, continue to feed upon it, continue to meditate on it, and you can have a home in heaven someday. Or maybe there's somebody here that's obeyed, has wandered away from the Lord and needs to come back. No matter what your situation is tonight, you've got things that you need to make right. Do it right now. Let's get that we stand and we sing.